Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. next half hour has its baggage packed to take a trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, he is just an expert. At making out his expense account, he is an absolute genius. <laughs> expense account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Oriental West, Cargo Bonding Company, San Francisco. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during my investigation of delayed cargo aboard the SS Shanghai Wayfair, or the case of the slow boat from China. Expense account, item one, $181.52. Plane fare from Hartford, Hartford to San Francisco in answer to your urgent call. Expense account, item two, $3. Lunch on Fisherman's Wharf in answer to my stomach's urgent call. Item three, a dollar twenty. Cab fare to your office. Dollar, my name is Fundy. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you before. I mean, I say it's a pleasure meeting you. It's a rough trip. I'm glad it's over. Over? Oh, it's just begun. Here, Dollar. This is your plane ticket to Singapore. Singapore? Mm-hmm. You know, Fundy, I had a choice. Really? To come to San Francisco to see you or to take a case in Boston. A nice old lady on Beacon Hill clubbed her husband with an early American bed warmer. But no, rather than New England broiled lobster, I'd rather have San Francisco cracked crab. Now, all of a sudden, Singapore. May I ask why? Yes. We've bonded against the delay a $120,000 cargo of raw tin aboard the Shanghai Wayfarer. The ship was due to sail from Singapore three weeks ago. Still out there, tied up in the Tanjong Pagar dock. What's the delay? Mutinous, mechanical, or just plain mysterious? I'm afraid it's little of each. We flew an expediter out there ten days ago to see what he could do. All the satisfaction we've had from this man, Harrison, is a report that since his arrival, the wayfarer's main shaft has burned out, her freshwater pumps have fouled up, and her steering machinery has gone on the fritz. You don't need an insurance investigator. You need a good plumber. <laughs> well, maybe you're right. But anyhow, you'll find our man, Harrison, William Harrison, at the Crown Colony Hotel. He'll fill in the details. Dollar, you have only a matter of hours after you hit Singapore to get the Shanghai wayfarer started on its way. I, uh... I must impress upon you the fact that any delay after that will cost this company $2,500 a day. Well, all I can promise is the old college try. Times like this, I wish I'd gone to college. Well, anyway, I'm in the right town to make my last night in the States a good one. A few drinks with the right gal at the top of the mark. A few rare steaks at Alfred's. A few dances to Freddie Martin's music at the St. Francis. 
few moments alone in the arms... A dollar. Huh? That sounds mighty good. But your plane leaves in two hours. Two hours? Well, I guess I'll have to do without the drinks, the dinner, and the dancing. Expense account item four, $120. Lost in the course of teaching fellow passenger how to play poker. My mother warned me not to never to play cards with strangers on trains or steamships. I wish she'd included airplanes. You'd implied, Fundy, that the situation smelled. Well, you should have caught a whip of the city, especially the native sections, through which I had to pass on my way to the Crown Colony Hotel. I found it on Anson Road. I found myself a room. I also found William Harrison's room. Harrison? Hey, Harrison. But I didn't find Harrison. All I found was a calling card from my old friend Trouble. Wherever Harrison was, he didn't want to be. And he left a trail of broken furniture and blood to prove it. I searched the dresser. Shirt size, 14. Socks, 9. That meant Harrison was a small man. I went to the bathroom, shaving brush and toothbrush still wet, indicating that he'd been there not too many hours before I arrived. Then I tried the wastebasket. In addition to one large glob of used chewing gum, an empty cigarette package, and some old Kleenex, I found a swizzle stick with a name on it. The Collier Key Bar. All that meant was that Harrison had a head cold and was trying to cure it with Singapore slings. But at least I knew where he'd been drinking. The Collier Key Bar looked out on the harbor. It was dark enough inside to give a man a good excuse for drinking nightcaps at noon. Your pleasure, sir? Say, uh, how are you on mixed drinks? Mixed drinks? Governor, if I don't know how to make them, I look them up in the book. If they ain't in the book, I fake them. Now, what will they? <laughs> Straight bourbon. Right, Joseph. Oh, hey, uh, bartender. Yes, sir. Are you by any chance acquainted with an American named Harrison? Harrison, sir? Yeah. He arrived in Singapore about ten days ago. Small man with a cold in his head. Oh, Harrison. Sure, I know him right enough. He's been coming in every night with a chief engineer from one of the ships in port. Oh, yeah? What ship is that? Oh, the Shanghai Wayfarer, I think. Oh, the Shanghai Wayfarer. What's this engineer's name? Yeah, now, hold on. I, I ain't getting him into any trouble, am I? He's a nice chap, he is. A handsome tipper. This handsome? My governor, 20 American dollars, why? Compared to you, sir, Mr. Frank Moore's downright typefish. Well, now, about that, I done it. I let Mr. Frank Moore's name slip right out. My missus is right. For a little man, I've got a ruddy large mouth. <laughs> Expense account, item five. Rickshaw fare to the Tanjung Pagar docks, ten cents. Tip to Pony Boy, one dollar. The ships moored fore and aft of the Shanghai Wayfarer were busy stuffing the pungent treasures of the East into their deep steel pockets. And the only sign of life aboard the Shanghai Wayfarer was the right hand of the burly gangway watch. It was holding a knife with a six-inch blade and slicing thin slivers off a plug that looked more like tar than tobacco. As a gangway watch, he might have been fine. But as a reception committee, he was no Elsa Maxwell. That's far enough, mate. There's nobody aboard and there's nobody coming aboard. It's all right with me. All I want is a little information. 
Where can I find your chief engineer, Frank Moore? You come to the wrong place. By the icebox over at the Singapore police. They fished him out of the harbor this morning, stabbed to death. Oh? Uh, any idea who did it? Holding some dame he's been playing around with. No, I don't know her name. Have they got anything else? Listen, mate, my job is to guard the ship, not answer questions. Okay, okay, have it your way. Oh, watch out for pirates. The British chief inspector, Singapore police, gave me everything except an invitation to tea. But unfortunately, he never even heard of Harrison. He took me into the morgue, and a look at Frank Moore's body told me nothing I didn't already know. He'd been stabbed, all right. And whoever had killed him had sunk him with a hole in one. As for his personal effects, his Maritime Union card confirmed the fact that he was indeed the chief engineer of the Shanghai Wayfarer. A stack of crisp American $20 bills in his wallet made me wonder whether he hadn't been picking up a little extra pin money for delaying the departure of his ship. And finally, a photograph that made me admire the late Mr. Moore's taste in women. Whoever it was that said, never the twain shall meet, should have met her. She was half cast and all woman. Her picture was inscribed to Frank Moore. Yours forever, Chandra. From the inspector, I learned two more things. One, the fact that the police had already questioned and released her. And two, her business address, the Wardlow Bar on Malay Street. Hello, Mr. Yank. You like a midnight sing song, girl? No. The only girl I want to hear sing songs is Dinah Shaw. Go on, beat it, will you? Oh, hey, wait a minute. Yes, do I? Uh, where's Chandra? Oh, she go across to Penang tonight. You buy me a drink, mister? We sit right over. Ramonja! Tagoya! Get up! Oh, Ramonja, you! I put you away home to Shanghai one night huh? in your own coffee! Complete with stab wounds, no doubt. Why you say that? Why you ask for Chandra? I'm a stranger in town. I can't find a local chapter of the Lonely Hearts Club. So, shall we find a quiet table? I don't know you. No, but you knew Frank Moore. That gives us something in common. Over there is one. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't sound like a very quiet table to me. In Singapore, you will learn whispers stand out in the quiet. They disappear in the noise. I'll bow to the wisdom of the native guide. But uh, who said I had any secrets? You talk about Frank Moore, so I know if you do not have secrets to give, there must be secrets you like to learn. But I tell the police everything I know, which is nothing. Oh. No, you are disappointed in me? No, no, not at all. You make good scenery. And I'll bet there's quite a story that goes with you. Oh, you find me interesting? I'm a man. Why do you come to me? Well, there were two places I could go for what I'm after. And you're much prettier than the SS Shanghai Wayfarer. I'm looking for a lead on a man named Harrison. Your murdered friend Frank Moore knew him, so figures you know him. You are wrong. I do not know him. I do not even know you. Oh, well, that's soon fixed. My name is Johnny Dollar. Your name is nice. Especially the uh, solid part, huh? You are very droll, but I see when you make this joke there is no smile on your face. You are worried about your friend, Mr. Harrison? Yeah, that's right. Maybe he was lonely tonight. Maybe he does not want you to find him. Ah, you certainly make me feel much better. How about a drink? <laughs> I never drink before midnight. All right, then I'll wait. We'll have one then. 
All right, Danny. But we don't have it here. We go to my house. There it is cool on the river. And there it is quiet. So we do not have to whisper. Midnight must have been invented for Singapore. And her house must have been invented for midnight. Only one thing looked out of place. Up on the wall was a souvenir of Chandra's war effort. A real American baseball bat. A Louisville slugger. And on it was written, Remember the U.S. Marines. Everything else in the place was soft. The lights, cushions, and Chandra. It is nicer to drink here, no? Yeah, may I say it's uh, a might intoxicating without a drink. I wish the boys back in my high school senior class could see me now. What do you mean? In the graduation annual, they predicted I'd be a bookkeeper. Oh, I do not understand you. And neither did the boys in my senior class. Johnny, please take things I can understand. I want to know you better. Maybe if I stop talking altogether, you'll get to know me better. Johnny... stopped talking, but I didn't stop thinking. When I'd mentioned Harrison to Chandra earlier, she said maybe he was lonely tonight. If she didn't know him or anything about him, I wondered how she knew that he was missing tonight and not for a couple of days, or maybe even longer. Besides, the boyfriends of women like her don't keep secrets. I still assume that if Frank Moore had known Harrison, Chandra had known Harrison. I also assumed that she'd spidered me into her parlor for purposes other than social. And that notion was seconded soon after I had it, when somebody kicked the door open. Hey, thank you, Jenny, darling. The two boys in the door were not from Western Union. And ugly as they were, Chandra left my side to join them, which made me think that maybe my senior class had been right. Looking at that trio six eyes and two guns glaring at me, I wished I was a bookkeeper. <laughs> In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But first, here it is almost the end of February. All over the country, people are thinking about their new cars. All but one man. And he remains quite content with his old automobile and wearing apparel. An ancient Maxwell and a well-worn toupee. For these reasons, and for several others, named Mary, Dennis, Don, Phil, and Rochester, he now has the number one comedy show in America. All over the country, people think about him, too, every Sunday night. Hear the Jack Benny Show with Claude Rains as Jack's special guest next Sunday on all these same CBS network stations. And now, back to yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The men with the guns, described from left to right, were a fat man with three chins and a bald dome... And with him, a punk with a sneer and arms that were too long for the rest of them. They gun-muzzled me into a chair and started making anything but sense. Mm. Very well, Sandra, my dear. <clears throat> we are at last face-to-face with the mysterious stranger, Johnny Dollar. Oh, don't kill the suspense and tell me why. He knows why. 
He came to the Wardlow Bar. He knew about Frank Moore, and he was looking for the other one, Harrison. That is why I phoned you. Well, it would seem then that this unfortunate chain of events is leading the final link. Yeah, this guy uses his head better than Harrison did. Well, Della? I'm using my head right now. Splendid, splendid. So doing, you may well prevent Harrison's death as well as your own. Oh, well, that's better than nothing. But uh, is that all you can offer? Skip the bargaining, Russ Line. Takes too much time. Quiet, Corgi. The times when money is cheaper than the results of your kind of blind violence. Well, Dara, you do have a price. Take a tip for my last name. Start bidding. I tell you, you're nuts, Rosalind. You aren't sure he knows where it is. He must know. He was looking for Harrison. They both know. You'll be quiet, both of you. Five hundred pounds English dollar. Where is it? At times like this, I keep my mouth shut and my ears open. Seven hundred and fifty. Surely, Dollar, since you've entered the situation at such a late date, that is property enough. Oh, well, I'm a man of expensive tastes. I've always aspired to such things as $200 cigarette lighters. Go ahead. Keep spitting out that wise talk and you'll be spitting out teeth. Well, how'd you like to go swimming with your hands and feet tied? I could bite my tongue. <laughs> uh, not that yet, Corgi, my boy. <laughs> this man is worthless, dead. Uh, perhaps, Dolly, we can induce you to talk in much the same way as we could prepare a parrot by <clears throat> slitting the tongue. You know, Rosalind, your mother must have been scared by Sidney Greenstreet. Either this guy is nuts or he doesn't know anything. What I know would fill a police blotter. Okay. You know nothing of psychology, my boy. What this man is attempting to pass off as a show of bravery is based purely on the knowledge that he is, momentarily at least, of some considerable value to us alive. Now, Dollar, be careful. Or you'll make your final decision. Bear in mind you've heard our final offer. No, sir. What should it be? Oh, the squirrel, the squirrel said to the little girl when she asked him what he wanted for Christmas, nuts. Very well, Nella. Corgi. Thanks. I finally came to in the dark, trussed up like a turkey, and lay there trying to figure it out. Obviously, the two rude dudes thought I knew something I didn't know. But what I did know was that finding Harrison had turned into a big, fat headache. Also, that I had accomplished exactly nothing towards speeding the SS Shanghai Wayfarer over the bounding main. While I was comforting myself by repeating over and over that old insurance company soother, never say die, I discovered I wasn't alone. Hello. Huh? You, who are you? Well, you were here first, you tell me. Well, my name is Harrison. Harrison? Yes, who are you? I'm Johnny Dollar. I was sent out here by the Oriental West Cargo Bonding Company. Oriental West? Yes, I was supposed to do what you couldn't get done. And look at me now. Getting hit over the head and dumped in here must be par for the course. How long have you been here, and why? I've been driving myself crazy trying to figure that out. Well, this little guest house, wherever we are, must only have one set of proprietors. I can tell you who they are, at least by the names they're using tonight. Rosalind and Corgi. They offered me 750 English pounds to tell them where something called it was. What is it? What's a package? What's in it? I don't know. It belonged to the chief engineer of the Shanghai Wayfarer, Frank Moore. He was helping me try to get the ship on its way, and I, I owed him a favor. He asked me to drop this package at a bar. The, the Wardlow bar, yeah, go ahead. That's right. I was supposed to give it to a girl named Chandra. She wasn't there, so I got her address and went out to her place. You mean that package is at Chandra's house? Yes. When I got out there, the Chinese maid let me in. I, I waited as long as I could, and then rather than leave what might be a valuable package just lying around loose, I, 
I put it into the bottom drawer of a dresser and left. Oh, great. For such things, I go around laying down my life. Well, it's obvious that these men will stop at nothing to get their hands on that package. Well, when they asked you where it was, why didn't you tell them? Then neither one of us would be here. What's more, I'm beginning to think the sooner they get the package, the sooner our ship sails. Frank Moore had been a good friend to me. He wanted Chandler to have it, and I, I couldn't just turn it over to those two. Well, I've got some news for you. And this should make you really unhappy. Those two happen to be in business with Chandra. They're all on the same team. She's one of them. What an idiot I've been. Uh, well, here we are, all roped up. You know, for a pair of guys who came out here to speed a shipload of raw tin on its way, we're doing just dandy. We're lucky if we get this thing alive. Offhand, I'd say our host probably murdered Frank Moore trying to get that package. Maybe we're next. Uh-oh. Maybe right now. <laughs> A beam from a powerful flashlight stabbed us in the eyes. The sudden change from too much dark to too much light kept us blinded. Well, look who's here. At least the voice behind the glare wasn't Rosalind's and it wasn't Corgi's. But it was a familiar voice, one I'd heard and heard lately. He walked in on us, the flash in one hand and in the other, a knife with a six-inch blade. At first I wondered whether it was the one that had been buried in Frank Moore's back. And then I remembered where I'd seen it before. The man bending over us was the burly gangway watch from the Shanghai Wayfarer. And you told me to watch out for pirates. Well, this situation is getting a little overcrowded. I didn't think there was room for any more. What do you want? You know what I want, Dollar. The same thing Roslyn and Corgi are ripping your hotel room apart for right now. Now, don't tell me you're looking for it, too. Two things I know about that package, mister. The name is Rourke. Okay, Rourke. One thing I know is that it's dangerous company. The other is I want no part of it. The only thing I'm interested in is getting the Shanghai Wayfarer out of port. It won't be hard once I get that package. Where is it, Dollar? Uh, I'll trade the answer to that question for a little freedom. Okay, hold still. Thanks. Harrison's next. I want him with us in case he's lying. All right. Okay, Harrison, roll over. Hey, you! When Rourke bent over Harrison, I dropped kicked the flashlight out of his hand, ran across the darkened room, through the open door, and kept on running. Sometimes the long way around is the shortest way home, so I headed for Chandra's house. I not only had some getting even to do, but I had some curiosity to satisfy. Somehow the Shanghai Wayfarer's failure to sail on schedule was tied up with a mysterious package. But how? Why? I decided I'd earned the right to see what was in that package. I want you to be lonely. I heard your playmates are over making themselves at home in my room. So I thought you and I could have a little chat. Maybe I've got a surprise for you. What, Johnny? I think I know where that package is. Johnny, you get that package. We both don't worry for the rest of our lives. But we must hurry before Rosalind and Corgi come back. We go now. Okay, where's your bedroom? Johnny, what do you mean? Oh, come on, where is it? Come, I'll show you. It's been here all the time. And now while I open this thing, you can go and have yourself a nervous breakdown. Say, this is more fun than unwrapping Christmas presents. And now I take off the cover. Wow. Now I know how the winner feels on Hit the Jackpot. 
which was paper all the way through, brown wrapping on the outside and green spending on the inside. Big bundles of fresh, clean American 20s. Thousands of the same kind of bills that the Singapore police had found in the late Frank Moore's wallet. It would have taken half a day to count it, and I'd wasted too much time already. There'll be no good to you without me, Johnny. You have to know how to get rid of them. Oh, counterfeit, huh? Yes. They are made in China. Frank Moore brought them from Shanghai to Roswell to take to the States, but Roswell was not here in Singapore. He was late, so Frank had to make some accidents happen to his ship to keep it from sailing. But then he changed his mind. He decided he would give the money himself. But Rosalind caught up with him. I see. He was sending them to you by way of Harrison, just before he was knifed by Rosalind, huh? Who talked him into that? You, by any chance? You and I could be very rich, Johnny. You never give up, do you? $500,000 there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should buy about 50 years in jail. I'm taking this down to customs and you're with it. No, I do not think you do. Uh-huh. Time to play another visiting team. Come on, beautiful. I don't want you in the way. I grabbed her, lashed her wrist with a cord from the package, and since she liked money so much, I stuffed her mouth with a fistful of those troublesome $20 bills. I locked her and the rest of the loot into a closet and dashed into the other room looking for a weapon. And then I remembered that Louisville slugger from the U.S. Marines. I was glad they'd landed. I grabbed it off the wall, got a toehold in the carpet on the left side of that door, wrapped my fingers around the bat, swung it on the back of my shoulder, and waited. Thunder. Thunder, my dear. We just came. Oh. Oh. Two outs and one to go. Oh. Oh. Three outs and the side is retired. What a ball game. Now, first, I take your guns. And now we sit and wait for you to wake up. I'll take over from here on in, Dollar. Huh? Oh, I don't know about that, Rourke. I happen to be the guy who has the gun. Oh? Well, here. Take a look at this. What's in your wallet that I want to look at? More hot 20s? I'm not taking my eyes off you, Rourke. Okay, I'll turn around with my hands up and then you can look at it. Okay, fair enough. But if you so much as move, I'll start shooting. That's the deal. Oh, it's a fine time to learn this. Are you satisfied? John Joseph Rourke, U.S. Treasury Department. Come on in. I'm sorry I couldn't come out into the open before, Dollar, but I was too close to the payoff of this case to take any chances. Well, you know, I'm beginning to think that just being in this town is taking chances. That counterfeit's been funneling through this port on its way from China for months. We had more staked out for a long time, but this is the first shot we had at the top. That's him lying there on the floor, Rod. Now I've got him. Oh, your pal Harrison told me where I can find the only other thing I need, that package of hot money in the dresser drawer. Oh, it's now moved into the bedroom closet. Along with a package of hot woman. Well, then, Dollar, it looks like my job out here is just about done. Yeah, I guess so. Hey, wait a minute. Hmm? You're from the Treasury Department. Yes? Well, then, after you get all these birds into their cages, how about helping me make out my income tax? <laughs> Expense account, item six. Hotel bill, one night in Singapore, five dollars. Item seven. One new outfit, replacing mine, which was ruined in course of taking midnight dip in Singapore River, $200. Item eight, $20. Bar checks for cheering up one William Harrison, your expediter, whose innocence had him running errands for the man who was holding up the departure of your ship. Item nine, $375. 
spent while killing time until the departure of my plane back to the States after the Shanghai Wayfarer finally sailed. You see, this time, I had four hours on my hands instead of the two you allowed me in San Francisco. Expense account total, $1,407. Signed, yours, uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. In just a moment, we'll tell you about next week's Johnny Dollar Adventure. But first, for more exciting drama in the mystery and adventure line, remember CBS two thrill-packed Saturday night shows, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters. Be sure to hear Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters tomorrow night on most of these same CBS network stations. Next week, CBS will take you adventuring with Johnny Dollar, hitting the hot spots in Palm Beach and New Orleans with the star of Hades, Diamond, on a trip all points south. Charles Russell plays the role of Johnny. Our music is composed and conducted by Mark Warno. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd and is produced and directed by Richard Sandville for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The next half hour has its baggage packed to take a trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, he is just an expert. At making out his expense account, he is an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Nutmeg State Casualty and Bonding Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during investigation of series of accidents affecting your policyholder, the Funfair and Weatherly Carnival shows. Or how I went for a spin on a case we might refer to as murder is a merry-go-round. Expense account item one, 25 cents. Purchase billboard, theatrical magazine, to check the route of funfair and weatherly carnival shows. Expense account item two, $68. Air and train fares to Talladega, Alabama. Item three, $1.10. Cab fare and what was only a fair imitation of a cab from Talladega Depot to the busy vacant lot, which had overnight found itself wearing theatrical makeup. Brightly as the hot sun beat down on the midway, it couldn't help the layout of canvas and slats from looking beat up. A perspiring mechanic shot sparks of profanity back at an obstinate motor as he tried to get it to roll the giant hoop of a Ferris wheel. I asked him what he knew about the accident of a week before when a car dropped off the same Ferris wheel, badly injuring three. He was charming. Listen, pretty boy. Don't go getting nosy around here. The Joe in charge of the electric scooter concession was just as sweet on the subject of how come one of his scooters blew up a few nights back, sending a citizen to the hospital. He just didn't feel like talking. If you ain't a cop, start moving. If you are, where's your warrant? I 
I was just asking the pilot of the giant airplane spin who he thought might have cut the cables the night one of his wallboard gliders took off across the carnival crowd, crashing and busting up a few more customers, when I got a canvasman's version of a sharp answer. A tenth stake right behind my ear. Beauty's waking up, huh? Who are you? I thought maybe you'd be sick of asking questions. First, maybe you better answer a few. Uh-uh. Before you get up. Number one, who are you? A pilgrim from Hartford. Never mind the double talk, nice guy. What's your name? My name is Johnny Dollar. But right now, I feel like two cents. What's your big interest in those accidents you were asking questions about? Strictly academic. I'm only representing the insurance company that's paying off on those accidents. Now maybe you'll tell me who you are and where I am. Ah, thought you guys were smarter. Dollar, I'll let you in on a little secret. Next time you want to find something out on a traveling show, get to the boss first. Asking a lot of questions around a circus or carnival lot is unhealthy. Where is the boss, Miss Pepper? Well, Louise is in the other end of this trailer. She'll be right out. Now, okay, you can get up on your feet. Oh, thanks. Uh, I... If you don't mind if I don't stay up on them, I feel more like sitting down. Yeah, go ahead. You still haven't told me who you are. My name's Brennan. Oh, yeah. Shanty Brennan. Yeah, you're the general manager of the show. Tell me all about you. Louisa Pepper's right arm and strong arm. How long will she be? Yeah, she's getting dressed. Just finished taking a nap. We drove all night to get here. How about having a blast with me while you're waiting? No, thanks. I haven't enjoyed a noon bottle since I was two. But don't let me stop you. Thanks. Sure you won't have one? I'm sure. Brands, the insurance company's been checking up on your show. The police chiefs in the last ten towns you've played say it's a clean one. Uh, We haven't got a pickpocket or a grifter on the lot. But plenty of trouble, huh, during those past ten stops? At least once a night somebody's got hurt. But never any of us. Always one or two of the townies, the citizens. Last night, a car on the whip cut loose. That sent four to the hospital. Uh-huh. Four more insurance claims for nutmeg state casualty and bonding, huh? Yeah. And one more time, we won't be able to play again for a couple of years. It's a wonder we didn't travel out of that town last night by rail, tarred and feathered. For ten straight nights now, you've had at least one big accident every night. What's your guess, Bren? Has fate taken a steady job on your show, or... Is somebody out to get you? Somebody's out to get us. Okay, well, do you have any idea? Oh. Oh. Why didn't you tell me we were entertaining a gentleman, Sandy? I'd have put on some more clothes. It would have taken a lot more clothes to cover all there was of Louisa Pepper. She looked like an aging Cupid doll, but even in a carnival, she was no prize. I didn't like the look in her eye. It looked much too friendly. So right away, I decided to change the unspoken subject. Uh, Miss Pepper, I'm here on business insurance. Sorry, we're not buying any. And I'm not selling any. The way things have been going, the insurance company I represent would probably like to buy some of yours back. Oh? Yeah. I'm going to not make state casualty. Investigating the accidents. Hope you find out more than we've been able to, and fast, before we go broke. The word's traveling one town ahead of us. They got us pegged for a dangerous midway. Have you been using police protection? Twenty extra cops a night at ten dollars a cop. 
So, night before last, a guy winds up with a hammer to try and ring the bell and win a cigar. The top of the hammer flies off and almost brains a cop. <laughs> Around this show, the police need protection. I see what you mean. How are you fixed for people who don't like you? We got money to choose from? Dollar, we treat our help fair and square. We know them all and trust them all. Fire anybody lately? Nobody. The only ones who left were floaters. But none of them had a beef. Okay, Miss Pepper. Now think back. In all your life, who do you know who'd most like to see you have a real bad time? Only one guy. And he's not around. Dead? As good as. He's in jail. Has been for the last eight and a half years. That's a long time. How long did he go up for? Ten years. What are you thinking, Dollar? I'm thinking that with time off for good behavior, maybe he's not in jail. Not in jail? Shanty, he's got to be in jail. He's got to be, I tell you. You told me you were... All right, back. break it up, Louisa. If Carter Lacey had a voice as sharp as yours, he could saw his way out of jail. Okay, Dollar, you made a guess. How about seeing how good it is? Sure. I'll find out if your bogeyman is still in jail, uh, but I didn't catch that name. Lacey. Carter Lacey. And where has he been in the pokey? Massachusetts State Prison. The Charleston. Well, what did he go up for? What's that to you? Cut it, Louisa. Dollar, we sent Carter Lacey to jail for attempted murder. He tried to kill Louisa's niece, Myrtle. Is she around? He's running the snake show on the midway. Dollar, how soon can you check whether Carter got out? As soon as I can make a telephone call. But, Shanny, before I do, I'd like to elaborate on that guess I made. Now I'd not only guess that Carter Lacey is out of jail, but I'd also guess that he's been out a little over ten days. Expense account, item four, three dollars. Telephone call to Massachusetts State Prison, confirming both of my guesses. Carter Lacey had checked out of the Bay State's Hotel Greystone for bad boys two weeks previously. Item five, $32. Telephone calls to various hotels in the last ten towns the Funfair and Weatherly Carnival shows have played. Item six, ten cents. Two nickels spent calling two hotels right here in Talladega. Then I dropped one more nickel in the telephone. Got the lucky number? Yes, sir. We do have a Mr. Carter Lacey registered. Room 312, July 12th. And hit the jackpot. Spencer account item seven, 65 cents. Cab fare to Sunshine Hotel. Tip the driver, one dollar. From the lobby, I call room 312. He invited me up. I invited him down. I knew I'd feel better talking to Carter Lacey with a lot of people around. They'd make nice witnesses if he suddenly got homesick for prison life and uh, used me as his ticket back. I waited in the coffee shop. The waitress brought me a cup of coffee, and uh, the pallet went to work refereeing a one-sided bout between the strong java and the weak cream. Hello. Dollar? All right. Sit down. Thanks. So you're Carter Lacey, huh? Have some coffee? No, thanks. It keeps me awake nights. How about your conscience? Having the same trouble with that? My conscience deserves an eight-and-a-half-year rest. But it can't start its vacation until I even up a few scores. Busting up carnivals. <laughs> Child's play. Look, Dollar, over the phone, you told me you're an insurance investigator. You can save your company a lot of money. How? Call them up and tell them not to insure the lives of three people. Because any minute now, two of them are going to be dead. Uh, Louisa Pepper, Anise Myrtle, and uh, Shanty Brennan. Yeah, Dollar. I'm going to kill two of those people. The other one's still my friend is going to help me do it. 
In case you don't know your law, Dollar, don't bother calling the cops. I can't be held for making a threat unless I put it in writing. Well, Lacey, I don't know what your beef is against the people running that carnival, but those accidents have been hurting a lot of innocent bystanders. Dollar, you're talking to a guy who really knows what it means. Getting hurt as an innocent bystander. <laughs> Expense account, item eight, $25. Retainer's a local detective agency hiring shadow for Mr. Carter Lacey. Explanation, an ounce of crime prevention is worth a ton of trials. Item nine, $1.20. Cab fare back for the evening's festivities at the Fun Fair and Weatherly Carnival, which was rapidly becoming more and more of a thrill show. Expense account, item 10, 30 cents. Down payment on ulcer, eating supper at what the carny people call a grease joint. I made my way among the trailers that were lined up behind the midway, and as I looked for the one housing Louisa Pepper's snake-charming niece, Myrtle, the burning sensation around my heart wasn't all caused by the hot dogs I'd just eaten. Who is it? I've got a message from Carter Lacey. What did you say? I said I've got a message from Carter Lacey. For you and uh, your Aunt Louisa, Shanty Brennan. You're the only one I haven't met yet, so I thought I'd deliver it to you first. Where is he? In town. You got any snakes in the trailer? No, of course not. All right, then. How about inviting me in? Are you the insurance guy they told me about? Yeah, that's right. Okay, come in. What did Lacey say? He said that he's going to kill two of the three of you. Which two? Didn't he say? No, he didn't. He just said that two of you are going to get it. And that his one friend among you, the remaining one, is going to help him do it. He'll do it. He hates us. I know he'll kill it. You say Louise and Shanny don't know yet? No, they don't. You're the first to know. Well, then wait here. I'll run and tell him. I'll stop that kid before I go into the tent to do my next show. Grab yourself a drink. I'll be right back. But she wasn't right back, and it's just as well she wasn't. She might have interrupted me while taking a sightseeing trip through the drawers in the trailer's built-in bureau. The piles of silky nothings that give gals that certain something didn't tell me anything I hadn't known about women before. But a little black book stashed among them did. I needn't have rushed my search, though, because Myrtle Pepper is still gone after ten minutes. That's about the time I headed back to her Aunt Louise's trailer, pulled open the door, and walked in. Scared me, Della, barging in like that. Yes, sir, Della, I told you I'd be right back. Did Myrtle here deliver Mr. Lacey's little love letters? Yes, the fool. He, he always was a fool. He can't kill us. You mean it's against the law? I mean, I mean, it's impossible, that's all. Look, Miss Pepper, you and your niece here are both plenty scared. Why, you're out shaking those food stances you got working up on the midway. Myrtle, have you told Shanny about Lacey's threat? Yeah, I met him on the way over here. Asked him if he'd... Feed my snakes before showtime. They're dangerous to work with if they're hungry. Yeah, I told him. He said he'd join us here. Well, what did he say when you told him? He said if Lacey had one of us helping him, and the three of us had better put together so we could at least watch each other. Smart man. He had a good idea. I see the three of you had better stick close to each other. Beginning right now. Come on. Where are we going? Over to the snake tent. And when we get there, Myrtle, you'll be the only one of us who'll be among friends. The three of us left Louise's trailer. We walked past the back of the shooting gallery concession right in the front of it. 
And along the back of the line of canvas shanties, we stopped at one. Myrtle pulled back the canvas flap, and I stepped in ready for anything. With the ladies not far behind me, I edged slowly over to the square red board fence set up in the center of the tent. There were danger signs splashed in white paint along the outside walls of the pit. I clenched my teeth and looked down to the wire mesh top at a slithering tangle of writhing, angry reptiles. And there, lying among them with a vicious red welt splashing his forehead, was Shanty Brennan. He was feeding his snakes all right. In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But first, here is some news. 30 minutes of new thrills will be added to CBS 10 Great Sunday Night Entertainments this coming Sunday. At 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where you formerly heard Spike Jones, CBS will bring you screen star John Lund in an adventure-packed tale of a ship filled with terror and horror. This story, A Shipment of Mute Fate, starring John Lund, is the first of three special broadcasts from CBS' famous Escape series. It will be heard over most of these stations immediately preceding a familiar show which brings you a different kind of escape, the Jack Benny Show. And now, back to yours truly, Johnny Dollar. I'd just seen a murder mystery where the actors had been hissing instead of the audience. The lead character in that snake pit wasn't going to win any Academy Award. The scene of the crime was no place for a man, let alone a woman, so I herded Annie Louisa and her niece Myrtle out of the tent and back into the trailer. Oh, poor Shetty. Oh, horrible. Yes, I was wrong, Dollar, when I said Carter Lacey couldn't do it. Oh, it's going to happen to us. According to what uh, Lacey told me, Myrtle, what's supposed to happen is only going to happen to one of you. Huh? What do you mean? Well, he claims that one of you is in this with him, and that one knows she's fake. May turn out to be an acting contest between you two. What's that crack supposed to mean? Well, the one who's safe wouldn't want anybody to know she feels safe, huh? Oh. <laughs> I wish I had learned to cry. Louisa, you don't think it's me. Well, I know it ain't me. Oh, ladies, ladies, how about observing a moment of silence in memory of the deceased? Well, I give you a few instructions. Okay. Have you got a gun in here, Louisa? Yes. And a license to carry it. Good. Where is it? The gun, not the license. I won't give it to you. Well, if you don't, people might get to thinking to your Carter Lacey's girlfriend and accomplice. Anyway, I don't want the gun to take with me. I want to leave it here. Where is it? In that drawer right over there. Which end of the drawer? What's the matter with you, blind? You'll see it. Uh, I'm not turning my bag on you. Which end? You'd make a lousy trapeze out of Stella. You don't take any chances. This end toward me. Thanks. Well, now where are the keys to the car hitched to the front of this land yacht? What are they for, Don? Just another chance I'm not taking. With those keys in my pocket, this trailer won't be joyriding anybody off into the night. Where are they? I'll get them for you. Wait a minute, Myrtle. How come you know where Louisa's keys were? Yeah, Myrtle. How come? Why, because... Well, they're laying right there in plain sight. Oh. Thanks. 
Now I'm going out and call the police. Louisa, I want you to get into that chair down at the other end of the trailer. Okay, General. You've got the gun. And you, Myrtle, get on that bunk down at the other end. I don't understand all this. And now, ladies, while I'm gone, I don't want one of you gals to be knocking off the other. But on the other hand, I can't leave you here without protection. So I'm leaving the gun right here on this table in the middle of the trailer. And if uh, Carter Lacey comes knocking at your door, you can have yourselves a race for the gun. Expense account item 11, five cents. Telephone call to the local police. Plus another nickel spent calling a taxi. The cops arrived in four minutes. Cab in 15. Its driver had no siren to take him through the traffic lights. Item 12, $1.10. Cab fare on an exceedingly slow and torturous trip to the Sunshine Hotel. A tip to his kind of a driver, a nickel. I went up to the third floor and headed down the hall to Carter Lacey's room, 312. I rapped for an entrance, but all that came back was an echo. The lock on the door was the soft touch type known to the trade as the burglar's friend. So I went in. Stars fell in Alabama? Stiffs fell in Alabama tonight. Oh, operator. Operator, this is an emergency call. Let me have the telegraph police, will you? Hello? Police department? This is the same guy who just called you from the carnival to report a murder. Yeah. Well, you can send in the second team. I've got another one for you over here at the Sunshine Hotel. Room 312. A party's just been strangled. Yes, I'm sure. Lots of bruises and deep-set fingernail marks on the throat. Sure I know who it is. The name of the deceased is Myrtle Pepper. Myrtle Pepper certainly has been a fast worker. She not only had beat me down to the hotel, she managed to get herself killed in the bargain. I dusted the room for information, which was obviously more than the floor made had done for dirt, and came up with a kind of an eye-opener you don't drink. A pint-sized surprise in the form of some old newspaper clippings and Carter Lacey's prison release form. And what let him out let me in on something. I got out of the room into the elevator, and when I hit the lobby wondering where to start looking for him, I found him sitting there looking at me. Hi. Why do you want to talk, Lacey? I don't want to. But if you want to try and make me, what's the matter with right here? Okay. I supplied you with an alibi today. I don't see him in the lobby. Detective? He had stomach trouble. He got kicked in it. You can reach him at the city hospital. You know, in prison, I was a trustee. I get out, nobody trusts me. Oh, with that forecast you gave me this morning, what else? Forecast? Yeah. You predicted that you'll kill two people. Well, tonight the two people are dead. Shanty out at the carnival, and now Myrtle up in your room. What does that make you? A good forecaster. Or the killer, maybe? <laughs> Thanks for the maybe. Look, Dollar, I came to this town to take care of something. I took care of it. If you want to yell, cop, go ahead. From now on, nothing bothers me. Well, then stop chewing your nails. It told me this morning that one of those three people was working with you. There's only one left. And suddenly, Lacey, I don't believe your story. Suddenly, I don't care. Shanty Brennan lied to me this morning. He said that you went to prison on a charge of attempted murder. Your prison release papers say you went up for grand larceny. 
You see what happens to bad little boys that tell lies? I'm not through yet. I fished a bank book out of Myrtle Pepper's trailer, a three-way joint account. Myrtle, Shanty, and Louisa. The first deposit, $60,000. The date, the same year you were thrown into the can for stealing $60,000. To me, that spells a three-way split for them and a frame for you. Also, to you, it spells a motive for hating all three of them. So I lied to you. What are you going to do, wash my mouth out with soap? From now on, I don't need any answers from you, including smart ones. But look, you'd better stick around. If the cops don't pick you up for murder, maybe the hotel will want to press charges against you for having an extra unregistered person occupying your room. Johnny Dollar. Oh, wait a minute. Miss Carter, they arrested him? Tell me, did he escape? He's at the hotel, and the cops are on their way down there right now. I hope he's more talkative with them than he was with me. You talked to him? Yeah, I had a long, one-sided conversation with him. There's one thing I still can't quite figure out. Whether he really intended to kill Shanty and Myrtle or not. No. Yeah, strangled. Murder. Poor little angel. Of course he meant to kill him. He hated him. He hated us all. Well, you can hardly blame a fellow for being annoyed, framed on a grand larceny chap by three old chums. But you've got the wrong idea, Louisa. What I meant was, did he ever really intend to kill him himself? Or did he just intend to set off the greatest chain reaction since the atom bomb and just sit back and watch the three of you try to beat each other to it? Well, that's crazy talk. Yeah, like a fox, maybe. He made his threat to me, knowing I'd carry it back to you. I say you, because you're the only one left. You see, he set himself up as a patsy. He'd been framed by you once before. To me, it looks like Carter Lacey learned a few things about wrong people during that eight-year stretch. Namely, that they never trust each other. You're absolutely nuts, Dollar. I think you'd better get out of here. Go peddle your insurance. The cops will take care of Mr. Lacey. I don't think they will, Louisa. Why not? Myrtle was strangled. That's the kind of murder a man would commit. Well? But there was a set of deep fingernail marks on her throat. And Carter Lacey bites his nails. So maybe you'd better get yourself a manicure before the police arrive. Thanks for the advice. Stand right there, Dollar. This time I got the gun. Hold everything, Louisa. Carter! Stand off, Louisa. Point that thing someplace else before I point mine up your snoot. Okay, Dollar, get out. What's the matter with you, Lacey? Are you cracking up? Your plan was going along fine. First, Myrtle tossed Shanty to her snakes. Then Louisa took care of Myrtle. There's only one left, and the state will take care of her for you. That's not enough. There's one satisfaction I haven't enjoyed so far. That's hearing one of these pigs squeal. Carter, we can... Just put the money in the show and, and get out of here. The only one that's going to get out of here is Dollar. Beat it. I beat it, all right. I was the only one in the trailer without a gun. I plunged into the darkness looking for something and came up with a tent rope, dashed back to the trailer door, and lashed out to the guide rail. I didn't want those gun-happy birds flying the coop. Just then, the season opened. I didn't know who was going to come out the worst in there, the hunter or the hunted. The only key I had to the situation was the key to the car, the one I'd picked up earlier in the day. 
car churned the trailer to the carnival bank lot and out to the highway. When I hit the cement, I started spinning the rubber. Just as we hit the streets of the sleeping street, things woke up. Whoever was left back there snapped a shot at me through the trailer's front window. The second shot was my cue to try to ruin their aim by playing rock by trailer, swinging the car from one side of the street to the other. Just as the not-so-sharp shooter made another try, I picked up just what I was looking for. A game of tag with a police patrol car. Expense accounts, item 13, 15 cents, bicarbonate of soda. Those midway hot dogs I'd had for supper were no thoroughbreds. Item 14, $35, cigars for night shift. Talladega police, for whom I had started things smoking. Item 15, $3, hotel bill. But uh, never let it be said that I ever turned in a measly $3 hotel bill for myself. This was to check out of the Sunshine Hotel, the man who had checked out in the trailer at the hands of Louisa Pepper. Louisa Pepper, the only one who was a good bet to catch up with Brennan, who had been murdered by Myrtle. And Myrtle, who had been loused up by Louisa. And Carter, whom she had also carted out of this world, proving that when you start any kind of chain reaction, you should be careful, because you're never going to be sure where it's going to stop. Expense account total? What? Only $692.18. I must be slipping. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Madman of Music is moving. Yes, Spike Jones, formerly heard on CBS on Sunday, is already unpacking his famous collection of flick guns, dishpans, and other instruments, ready for tomorrow night's premiere broadcast as a CBS Saturday star. Hear the Spike Jones show on most of these same stations tomorrow night at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time when it joins Vaughn Monroe, Gene Autry, Gangbusters, and Sing It Again as a regular Saturday night CBS feature. Listen in again next week when CBS brings you Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, with Charles Russell as Johnny. Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd with music by Mark Warren. Johnny Dollar with Charles Russell as Johnny. Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd with music by Mark Warren. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Time now for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The next half hour has its baggage packed to take a trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, he's just an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Frederick Kimball, General Manager of Fine Arts Insurers Incorporated, New York, New York. The following is an accounting of my expenditures in the investigation of the stolen portrait of the Duke of Masson. Or, who opened the season on canvas back Duke? Expense account, item one. $350, plane fare, New York to London. Item two, $125. Replacement, brand new light tan topcoat, borrowed and not returned by fellow passenger during flight. We cleared Gander, Newfoundland, and were four hours out, flying at 20,000 feet over the Atlantic, with a knife in the weather, fighting it out to see which could darken the sky first. Most of the passengers were asleep, but the rough weather was giving the man in the seat beside me a rough time. Although the plane had leveled off, his dinner was still trying to gain altitude. Among other things, he complained of chills, so I slipped down my topcoat and threw it around his shoulders. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry to be such a bother. Oh, oh, I, I think I'll try a drink of water. Okay, I'll bust the steward. No, don't bother. She's up forward. Maybe they walked back too far. Stepped out for a breath of fresh air. I didn't think anybody could get sick enough to do that. By the time I got to the back of the ship, the rear seat passengers were milling around the aisle, all of them claiming not to know anything about what had happened. I didn't either. But if my ex-friend hadn't jumped out of the plane, he'd been pushed. And that posed this tantalizing question. If he'd been pushed, and since he'd been wearing my light tan topcoat, was I the one who was supposed to be taking that 20,000-foot swan dive into the Atlantic? I looked over the passengers, and to me, they all looked guilty. But I knew they couldn't be. I also knew I had no chance of finding out which one was. When things settled down, everybody started asking the stewardess for sedatives to help them get back to sleep. I asked her for some black coffee to keep awake. By four o'clock the next afternoon, I was in good health in London and in the office of your policyholder, Dexter Morley. Yes, I've been expecting you, Dollar. Your company cabled that you were coming. They're very generous of them to send you all the way over here to help. The way I have to pad my expense account to make an honest living. Don't ever accuse my clients of generosity. Oh? Oh, no. They aren't being soft-hearted benefactors. They're being hard-headed businessmen. If that painting stays lost, it'll cost them $250,000. Well, I'd better brief you from the beginning. Oh, if I yawn during your story, Morley, don't mind. I'm just sleeping. I see. Very well, I'll make a brief, Dollar. Well, during my lifetime, I have developed an overwhelming appreciation for fine painting. Unfortunately, I have not been able to develop the fortune that should go with it. As a result, I haven't only not been able to buy any great paintings, I've not been able to afford to travel to the museums around the world where the great masterpieces hang. Well, I guess there must be a lot of people stuck in the same fix. Exactly, and that's what gave birth to my friend. I have organized what you might call the Masterpiece of the Month Club. Its members are 12 of the top museums and galleries in the world. This plan calls for them to rotate their most famous paintings 
In other words, if the people can't afford to come to the pictures, my scheme brings the pictures to the people. A new one, every month. Well, it's very interesting, Mr. Morley. But uh, let's talk about the one that got away. Oh, yes, of course. I was merely outlining the background of this case to delineate my responsibility in the matter. Well, so now we know that you feel personally responsible for the loss of the painting, even though it's well insured. Mr. Dollar, no amount of money can get that picture repainted by the man who originally painted it. The artist Bonnet has been dead for more than 300 years. Oh, a real gone guy. Well, if we fail to recover Bonnet's masterpiece, the Duke of Masson, it would not only be a tremendous shock, but also a tremendous loss to the world of art. Further, it would ruin my reputation. The very first thing to be loaned arrives here in London from Paris four days ago, and the first night after I deliver it to the museum, it is stolen off their wall. Okay, Mr. Morley. So much for the story. Where's the museum? It's the new art gallery at Coventry. Uh, here's the address. I won't be able to accompany you myself as I'm flying across the channel immediately to try to calm the officials in Paris, the ones who loaned the stolen painting. Uh, they've been calling incessantly. I'll phone my assistant, Miss Harding, to meet you at the main entrance in the museum in, let's say, uh, 45 minutes. Okay. Tell her I'll be the man asleep on the step. <laughs> Expense account, item three. Sixpence halfpenny. London papers. To read while waiting for Miss Harding at museum entrance. No matter what I told Mr. Morley, I was afraid to go to sleep. Page one of each newspaper referred to my reason. The misadventure which had occurred on the plane the night before. A possible attempt on my life. Then along came another good reason for my lids not drooping. Miss Harding was an eye-opener. Speaking in artistic terms, no painter could completely capture her dimension. A sculptor could come closer. As far as I was concerned, so could she. And she did. Would you see Mr. Dollar? It wouldn't be. I'm Miss Harding. Mr. Morley indicated that I might find you asleep. I say that must have been a shocking experience on the way over. Oh, not only shocking, but frustrating. Oh? Yes, there was nothing much that could be done. We circled long enough to drop a few life rafts, some flares, and a big blob of yellow oil to help mark the spot. Then all the pilot could do was call for the air sea rescue boys and hope. Yes, it's been in all the papers the whole day. Poor chap. Yeah, it could be that there, but for the grace of a light tan top coat, go on. What was that? Oh, nothing. Well, uh, shall we go museum prowling? Yes, of course. Uh, well, there isn't much to see, just a blank space on the wall. Well, let's take a look anyway. Hey. Did you see a blank space on the wall? Why, yes. You mean they stole the painting frame and all? Indeed, they did. Oh. Art thieves are doing things the hard way these days. Usually they just cut the painting out of the frame, stick it to the coat, and make a getaway. Yes, Mr. Dollar, I know. But perhaps this job was done by a beginner, or perhaps the burglar was interrupted and had to make a run for it, frame and all. There are infinite possibilities. Yes, infinite. Thanks. Mr. Dollar... Frankly, I think this trip here to the museum is an utter waste of time. I've gone over the whole situation with a gentleman from Scotland Yard. Wasn't so much as a single fingerprint. Miss Harding, I have yet to solve a case with a fingerprint. Oh, sorry, I forgot. Men just can't stand to be any show of efficiency in a woman. Oh, I wouldn't say that. It's according to what they are applying their efficiency. I'm speaking of business. Mr. Dollar, I'm sure that I can save you a great deal of trouble. I've already done an extraordinary amount of research on this case. Be careful what you tell me, Miss Harding. At this point, I confuse easily. Mr. Dollar, a child could understand what I have to tell you. Sometimes a wide-awake child is better than a sleepy man. But go ahead. Well, now, this is the place right here. Oh. There. You see? 
a blank wall. Now, Mr. Dollar, of the 12 foremost RPs in London, I have discovered that nine are currently in prison, one is in hospital after falling four stories off a roof, and the other two are at large and may be found residing at the addresses I have here. Hey, you sound more like a patron of the criminal courts than you do of the arts. The entire subject of criminology fascinates me. Now, have you seen enough of your blank wall? Yep, things are blank enough. Give me those addresses. And while you're at it, maybe you better give me yours. Mr. Dollar, you don't think I look suspicious? Oh, no. Delicious. Spencer Cow, item four. Five shillings. Cab fare to Scotland Yard. Tip the driver, two bob. When it comes to money, I speak all languages. Scotland Yard from the outside looked like a big public school. Well, it has taught a lot of lessons to a lot of people. Inside, it was tea time. When I inquired for the officer in charge of the robbery with which I was concerned, I was led to an Inspector Carew. First, he gave me a cup of tea. Then he gave me my lumps. Mr. Dollar, you sit here and ask me why we haven't done something. Believe me, sir, the yard is not as archaic as its architecture. There's a simple legal procedure which must occur before we can make either an investigation or an arrest. Well? First, a complaint must be lodged by the legal owners of any stolen property. At that point, and at that point only, are we allowed to act. You mean nobody called for help? Well, naturally, when the museum discovered the painting gone, they immediately rang us up. We went to court to gather primary evidence. Unfortunately, there was none. Well, what about the owners of the painting, the museum in Paris? As yet, we've heard nothing. We expect to momentarily. Uh, Inspector, just out of curiosity, what about this girl, Miss Harding? I'd say she's, uh, well, uh, a jolly fine type. I mean, do you know anything about her? I say, didn't you Yanks carry off enough of our girls after the war? I'm not in the importing business. I mean, is she known to you professionally? What? You suspect her? Well, not particularly, but uh, she did give me this list. In her opinion, this is the who's who and where they are of your city's light-fingered art lovers. Hmm, let me see it. Well, quite complete and quite accurate. Hardly the work of an amateur. Where in the world would a young lady like Miss Harding come into such information? That, Inspector Carew, is exactly what I'm driving at. Back in a taxi headed from Scotland Yard on my way to check into the Mount Royal Hotel, I gave my eyes a rest at the risk of missing the sightseeing, but my mind refused to follow suit. It now had three blank walls to stare into. The one in the museum, the one at Scotland Yard, and the most provocative of the three to look at, the girl who knew too much, Miss Muriel Harding. My mind also kept ruffling my nerve ends with a question. Was I supposed to be the guy who got dumped out of that plane the night before? We arrived at the Mount Royal Hotel, and I got my answer. Here we are, sir. That's the Mount Royal, right? Dead on it. Go through where you can't miss it. Okay. What's the bill? Uh, to you, sir. <laughs> That'll be off the crowd. How much? Two and six, sir. Oh, here. You, you figured out. Hmm. God, every time, Gambit. Look out, Gambit. I'm on that car. Ah, that was a close one. You all right, Gambit? Yeah. Blimey, since the cars are back on the street, it's more dangerous to walk around now than it was when them ruddy buzz bombs were dropping. Yeah, a couple of good things about the buzz bombs, though. Nobody aimed them at you personally, and nobody was at the wheel to steer them. That made it official. I had been set up for a pigeon, and it was me somebody had tried to turn into a seagull during that flight across the Atlantic. Expense account item five. 
Three pounds ten. The bellboy for services rendered. How about that? Fourteen bucks for a bottle of scotch. I knocked off forty winks. It felt like only twenty. Then I grabbed a shower, shave, and a cab down Oxford Street and over to Soho. Expense account item six. Five shillings. The legal limit on the price of dinner in England these days. I ate in a nice place called Ketner's. Dinner being a bit of chicken, three choices of vegetables. Brussels sprouts boiled, Brussels sprouts creamed, and Brussels sprouts roasted. For dessert, I looked at the names and addresses of Miss Harding's two candidates for the boys most likely to have succeeded in swiping the missing portrait of the Duke of Masson. I was in the right district for one of them. I found myself on a dark and lonely muse. That may sound good to you, but in Soho, a muse is still only a place fit for ash cans and cats. I groped my way up the stairs of the address of the number one boy on Miss Harding's list. On the top step, I was breathing hard. I wasn't off from the climb. I clenched my teeth, my knuckles, and knocked on the door. Then I broke roll two, the basic instructions for the working snoop. I opened the door. That lock never went to Yale. The door of a wood-burning stove across the room was open. The flames erratically painting the walls with orange light, then erasing them back into black darkness. I finally dared to breathe. Then I saw what I was looking for, lying on a table, its edges curled upward. An oil painting of a guy with short breeches and a long face. I started forward, but something barred my foot. I stared down at the floor in front of me. First it was pitch black. Then the light from the stove flared up, and I saw that the object was what it, I thought it was, and hoped it wasn't. A man. Wearing his head, and I don't mean his hair, parted in the middle. I rushed across the room, flipped it off the top of the stove, and more light, and looked for a telephone. There was none in the room with a corpse, so I tried the door to the next room. And the door I was trying started erupting. Just a moment, we'll turn to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But first, we want to remind you that those delightful, charming neighbors, Ozzie and Harriet, are coming back home next Sunday night, coming back to CBS. You'll be able to join them on most of these same stations at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time, just before the Jack Benny Show. Ozzie and Harriet now have their own sons, Ricky and David, playing themselves in place of the young actors who formerly portrayed them. So make it a party for your whole family when Ozzie and Harriet, Ricky and David, come home with their fun and laughter to CBS next Sunday night. And now, back to yours truly, Johnny Dollar. When those bullets came crashing through the door at me, I dropped to the floor. I still don't know whether my knees buckled or I meant to go down. I stayed where I was. But whoever it was on the other side of that door decided to take off. Out the window. I got to my feet. But by the time I kicked the door open, got to the window, I had that old Mother Hubbard feeling. The cupboard was bare. And that's what I'm doing here in your flat, Miss Harding. After my little adventure, the first thing I did was to call the police. And the second was to come here to call on you, the girl who steered me into that shooting gallery. Well, you needn't sound so annoyed at me. Of course, I advise you to go there, but after all, it was your duty, and you did recover the picture. And almost lost my health doing it for the third time. Really? Yes, really. First, somebody tried to make a sea-going paratrooper out of me. Then they tried to make me part of the pavement by running me down with an auto. 
And now tonight, somebody on the other side of a door tries to turn it into my personal copy of The Pearly Gates. That's really enough for me. Mr. Geller, where is the painting now? At Scotland Yard. And now let's change the subject back. What's bothering me is bothering me plenty. I want to know who didn't want me to find that picture and why. Why, it seems elementary. Thank you, Dr. Watson. The thief naturally didn't want you to find it. Miss Harding, please. When I got shot at, the apparent thief was dead. Well, they do have henchmen, you know. If he was killed by an accomplice, why did the killer leave the painting? I'd have no way of knowing. Of that, I'm still not sure. Oh, really, Mr. Dollar, come off it. You hardly suspect me. I suspect you left if you'd stop saying that. At this point, I suspect everyone. Even Dexter Morley, dreaming up this whole painting of the month scheme to bring those paintings within stealing distance. Oh, but that's utterly ridiculous. I know, I know. If that was the plan, he'd wait until he had more than one picture on the road to steal. That's why I don't suspect him. Well, frankly, I don't see why you continue to worry. After all, your part of the job is done, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose you're right. But I still have a yearning burning deep down inside of me to break somebody's neck. Mind if I use your phone? Of course not. Help yourself. Thanks. Hello, I, I want to talk to New York. Oh. Now, don't worry, I'll call collect. My name is Johnny Dollar. I want to place a collect call to New York. Number is Plaza 69184. Check this, please, sir. Your name is John Dollar. New York number you're calling is Plaza 69184. And the call is uh, collect, correct? Correct, collect. Right you are, sir. We shall ring up immediately if there's a clear circuit. Thank you. They'll call me. While you're waiting, you'll probably do with a bracelet. Do you care for a drink? What have you got? Oh, gin and orange, gin and lemon, gin and Italian, or gin and French. No whiskey. No, thanks. Well, come and sit down over here. It's very restful. It's more restful on the eyes where I am. Here, I can have a better look at you. However. Well, Mr. Dollar, you can be charming. Do you mind if I change the Mr. for Johnny? It sounds much more fun. I'll swap you one, Johnny, for every Muriel you let me use. It's a bargain. Now, tell me about yourself. You're looking at fascinating. I'm an absolute bug on criminology. At the moment, Muriel, that happens to be my unfavorite subject. Let's talk about you. Mm, where shall I begin? Mm, just after the age of 21? Mm, you're a saucy type. At the age of 21, I was living in the West. Huh? The Women's Air Force. Oh, you must have had a lot of exciting adventures. Rather. What was the most exciting? Oh, I think perhaps tonight the young U.S. Air Force Captain Kiss. Oh, one of the boys of the wild blue yonder. Maybe it was the blue of your eyes that made him wild. Johnny. I know how he must have felt. Hey, Johnny. I'll be right back. All right, darling. Hello? Are you there? Are you there? Of course I'm here. Mr. Dollar? That's right. We're ready with your call to New York. The signal at the end of three minutes. Are you ready to talk? The minute you stop. Right you are, sir. Carry on. Hello? Hello? Is this the Fine Arts Insurers? I want to talk to Mr. Kimball. Yes, 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 Dollar. I'm on the line. Go ahead. Well, you can stop worrying, Kimball. I got the painting back. You 
say you did get it back? That's right, it's safe. All you'll have to pay is the price of a new frame. But that you say, what happened to the frame? Well, the guy who swiped it took the painting out of the frame. I don't know where it is. Well, ask the culprit what he did with it. I can't, he's dead. Well, then look for it. That frame itself is worth $10,000. It was insured along the painting. Okay, Fred, don't blow out any bridge work. I'll look around for it. Give it everything you've got, Dollar. Huh, I'm too near doing that already. What do you say? Okay, Fred, I'll cable you what happened. Goodbye. Well, Muriel, vacation's over. I just got put back to work. I gather from your conversation you want to send you chasing off into the night to look for the picture frame. Yeah, that's it. Oh, it's ridiculous. The police have probably already found it somewhere in that fellow's flat. I'll check that. But my work is personal service. Hmm, but must you go, Johnny? It's only half past ten. Couldn't you put it off till morning? Well, there's nothing I'd like better, but... Couldn't you stay even for a little while? Well, just long enough to calm my nerves. Big Ben was ringing up midnight on Time's greedy cash register when I finally cleared with a bobby guarding the back alley flat but had not so long before given up one unprecious life and one very precious painting. The place was darker than it had been on my previous visit and while I groped for the electric switch I realized why. There had been a brisk fire blazing before bottom grade of the stove, I found enough unburned portions of the hot picture frame to justify my conclusions. And I found something else that came under the category of hot rocks. Expense account, item seven. Cab fare at the office of Dexter Morley. The front door was not only locked, it was barred. However, at the back of the building, I had better luck. A loose window down to the basement. I just broke a law, but I didn't want to break my neck, so I snapped on a light. The basement was loaded with cabinet-making equipment. But for my dough, they weren't making any cabinets. There was a bench with a power drill, and on the floor below it, a pile of sawdust and wood shavings. That was normal enough, but the sawdust pile was glinting with tiny specks of crystallized glue. With what I had now, all I had to find was Dexter Morley. He made that easy. He found me. Stay down there, Dollar. Right where you were. Well, welcome home from that trip to Paris you didn't take. That gun in your hand suggests that I'm right about one thing, anyway. Yes, and what would that be? That whoever took the shots in the earlier tonight was probably not an Englishman. The bobbies over here don't carry guns, which makes most English mugs afraid to. You're an American. That's interesting, but hardly valuable. I've got some more. How valuable is this? I think you're in on, or at the head of, a very high-class smuggling racket. And I think you set up that painting of the month scheme of yours to establish... Just about the neatest method of smuggling that I've ever heard of. You're very generous. I know how I operate, so what you could tell me about it could do nothing more than bore me. What I want from you are the diamonds. Maybe I can trade you. Some diamonds for some answers. You're in no position to bargain. Give me the diamonds or I'll shoot you and take them off you. No, wait a minute. I'd better explain my bargaining position. I think you'll admit it's not the worst. Since you must have followed me here, you know I took a cab from the murder flat. One without a taillight, so you don't have the number. But, brother, I do. And the diamonds are jammed down behind its back seat. Now, let's bargain. What? You... All right. What do you want to know? Just let me do the guessing. And check me if I'm wrong. You set up a chain of famous paintings which would move around the world through your branch offices. As each one passed through your hands here, the frame was to be dismantled. And holes bored in it at the joints for the purpose of smuggling diamonds. Right so far? Yes, Dollar, right. 
But remember, the more you are right about, the worse it is for me. So naturally, the worse it is for you. We'll take care of that later. This scheme of yours fascinates me. The stuff moves around the world in the picture frames, under official armed guard, and enjoying virtual diplomatic immunity through customs. It's great. Yeah, it would have been great if it hadn't been for that heavy-handed oath. Oh, that fills in a missing link. From out of the night comes a burglar, steals your first loaded picture, shoves the frame into his stove to get rid of it. You arrive, cream him with your gun, then I arrive, interrupting you before you get what you want out of the burning frame, and then... You saw what happened to him when he resisted me, Dollar. But now you must realize that I won't hesitate a moment. It works the other way, doesn't it? You kill me, who tells you the number of that taxi? And without it, you'll never get your diamond. There are ways. Keep your hands behind you. Painful. I thought so. Your head will wear out before this gun barrel does. Now, feel more like talking? Just enough to tell you one more thing. You can tell that blonde accomplice of yours I was onto her from the start. Tony, what do you mean? What? I can't repay you for those three tries you made or had made on my life, Morley. But here's what it feels like being hit on the head with a gun. Yeah, rockabye booby. Muriel, look out, you fall. I told you, that's a very undignified way for a lady to enter a room. Through a basement window. Tony, I was only trying to help, and there you were accusing me of being his accomplice after all those nice things you said to me before. Whoa, wait a minute. Oh, I followed you. I I wanted to see how you were. Oh, great. You and your criminology. At least you might have stepped in before he hit me those two licks. Look at my head. Oh, I'm sorry, Johnny. It's it's just that I love crime. Well, come on. Get up. Would be a crime if Mr. Worley there woke up and I had to put him back to sleep again before the police got here. Well, what was it all about? It was about these little black things. I've got a pocket full of them. There, scrape one of them with your fingernail. Oh, glass. Honey, that's the kind of glass a fellow hands his girl when he wants to be engaged to marry her. Johnny, darling, you mean... Uh, Yes, I mean only that they're diamonds. (laughs) Expense account, item eight. $350. $350. Plain fare out of attempted matrimony by the party of the second part. Item 9. $25. Gift to Muriel Harding. Two books. One on the art of crime, the other on the art of cookery. In the hopes that the latter might attract her to the pursuits of a more womanly hobby. Item 10. 10 cents. Roma Seltzer. Purchased upon landing at Gander, Newfoundland. The only thing still fighting me on this case were those Brussels sprouts I had at dinner in London the night before. Expense account total, $1,563.40. If you find any slight discrepancy in this amount, in my favor, blame it on my confusion and lack of understanding of the international rate of exchange. The only thing I like to exchange at this point is my head with its two new lumps. Wishing you the same, yours, uh... Truly, Johnny Dollar. In just a moment, more about Johnny Dollar. But first... 
Academy Award winner Jane Wyman comes as guest to the Family Hour of Stars, and Ozzie and Harriet return in triumph to CBS. These are two headline-making events for next Sunday night. Add these two shows to the top comedy of Jack Benny, the feminine charm and dramatic talent of Helen Hayes and Eve Arden, the ace comedy teams of Amos and Andy and Lemon Abner, and CBS Sunday Night makes great news. On top of this, there are the notable mystery capers with Sam Spade and the laughter with Life with Luigi and It Pays to be Ignorant. So don't miss a single one of CBS 10 great entertainments next Sunday night when they're heard over most of these same stations. Jack Benny, of course, comes to you over them all. Listen in again next week when CBS brings you Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar with Charles Russell as Johnny. Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dow with music by Mark Warno and is produced and directed by Richard Sandville for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Time now for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The next half hour has its baggage packed to take a trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, he's just an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Home Office... I were the Insurance Underwriters Association, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, General Manager, Harvey Anthony. Hmm, uh, dear Mr. Anthony, here is your problem. The following is an accounting of my expenditures in the case of the $100,000 leg. Or who put your company out on the limb? Rent account, item one, $60. $20 across the board on a losing horse I was rushed into betting on when you had me paged on a public address system at the racetrack. This is Harvey Anthony, Dollar. Thanks for calling back so soon. Now, when they paged me, they said it was an emergency. Better be. Why? What's the matter, Dollar? This is my day off. And if I know you, this call is going to make it an off day. <laughs> if I know you, my friend, you won't mind this assignment. I want you to go out to Hollywood. Act as a bodyguard for a big movie star, Marilyn Major. Oh, not a bad body to guard. What's the deal? We've issued one of those publicity policies. Insured her legs for 100000 Policy will only be in effect for 48 hours. We want you to stick with her. Just to see that she doesn't get mixed up in a hockey game. <laughs> I get it. She's been notified, so she expects you. Well, when do the 48 hours start? Tomorrow noon. Can you make it? Now, with the help of American Airlines. Got enough cash with you to buy your ticket? Uh, about that, I'll know right after the next race. I'll call you from Hollywood. Fence account, item two. Ten dollars. Borrowed from a friend. Taxi fare from the racetrack to town, where I cash check to pay item three. One hundred and eighty-six dollars and thirteen cents. Plane fare, Hartford to Hollywood. Item four, three fifty. 
cab fare, Los Angeles Municipal Airport, to the home of the insured, Miss Marilyn Major, at the Horizon View Apartments on the Sunset Strip. Tip the driver, one dollar. Miss Major's apartment had the best view of the horizon, it being the penthouse. But her outlook was anything but rosy. I found the apartment door open. First I looked in, then I went in. I want to place a person-to-person call, please, to Mr. Harvey Anthony, Hartford, Connecticut. Volunteer uh, 3 6000. My name is Dollar, as in blood money. While I was waiting to get Mr. Anthony, I wondered who had got Miss Major. In the movies, I'd always thought she looked right at home anywhere. And now, right there in front of me, she was passing her toughest test. Lying there, nice and relaxed. She looked right at home in the role of a beautiful gal who has just been murdered. Her face was calm. Her legs were neatly placed in the best of cheesecake tradition. The only thing not quite as it should have been was a very real bullet hole, which she was wearing where an earring should have been. But the next cameras that would be taking her picture would be police cameras. B pictures. B for bloody. Mr. Dollar? Oh, yeah? Here's your party. Go ahead. Oh. Hello? Hello? Hello, Dollar? Yeah, yeah, this is Dollar, all right. Anthony, first I want to tell you, those legs you insured are still in beautiful shape. Good, good, fine. I only hope you didn't also insure Miss Major's life. She's dead. What? Marilyn Major dead? That's right. Oh, we certainly do insure her life. We only issued that publicity policy on her legs as a courtesy. Dollar, get to work on it right away. I'll get to work on it, but don't waste too much hope. To me, it looks like your only out is if the policy does not pay off on murder. Murder? Good heavens. Well, there may be something about the case that will save us from paying double indemnity for death by violence. Oh, this is death by violence, brother, any way you look at it. Okay, Anthony, I'll get to work on it right after I call the cops and make a report. Do your best. Goodbye. Okay, goodbye. Hang up that telephone, mister. The dame standing in the kitchen doorway had thirty-two caliber steel in her hand to back up the brass in her voice. She was a youngster, but obviously an old-timer at a lot of things. Her hair was the same color as a murdered woman's, smoke blonde, and her dress was tobacco brown and round and firm and fully packed. I said put down that phone. Yeah, sure, sure, okay. Now, uh, you do me a favor, will you? If you feel you want your finger near that trigger, how about moving it up to the front end of the trigger guard, huh? Mister, I only heard part of what you said, but you're not calling no police. What makes you think so? That Damon there's done me enough harm. I came here to kill him, but somebody beat me to it, and I'm not taking the rap. Okay, so beat it. Who cares? Then I'll call the police. Somebody's going to eventually. Before I go, I'm finding a few things and taking them with me. Now, come on, get up on your feet, Missy. You're coming with me in the bedroom. Okay, okay, don't get excited. Okay, mister, over against that wall with your face in close and your hands straight up. Come on, move. All right. You learn this at the movies or by watching your friends work. Don't be a wise guy. I'm not as dumb as I look. Now, hold still. Look, uh, sister, by this time I shouldn't still like you well enough to warn you, but what you're doing right now will get you in plenty of trouble, even if you didn't commit this murder. I'll take that chance. If you don't get picked up for larceny, they'll still get you for tampering with evidence. As far as the police are concerned, at the scene of a murder, 
nothing gets touched. They like it that way. What I'm taking won't even be missed. There are plenty more here just like him. I thought he's gotten here. Love letters from men. Who are you covering up for? Your boyfriend? It's none of your business, mister, but it's my husband I'm covering up for. Ah, uh, well, then you're just plain nuts. If he knew her, they'll find that out. And then if they want him, they'll find him. Yeah, then they'll find him dead. Huh? My husband committed suicide over that no good dame this morning. Oh. Now, I've, I've had enough out of you. Back up. Two steps. Okay. Now, get over there and into that closet. Come on. Too bad. What's the matter? I always feel sorry for a sucker. I felt around in the dark. It was a small closet. That meant not much air. That meant doing something about it. I took my fingernail file, stood it on edge, and slipped it under the door, pressing down the nap of the rug. I did the same with my fountain pen. That would at least allow a small supply of air to sneak into my stuffy little cell. And then I glued my ear to the thin wooden panel that separated me from the bedroom. It wasn't long before my captor apparently completed her search. I heard her pass the closet door and head for the front room. I didn't hear her dial the phone, but it didn't take me long to realize that's what she was doing and who she was calling. Give me the police. This is an emergency. Hello? Hello, police. I want to report a murder. All right. Hello? There's been a murder. The movie star Marilyn Major in the penthouse. The Horizon View apartment on the Sunset Strip. Never mind who I am. I've caught the murderer. You'll find him locked up in the closet. From the moment she hung up, I could only guess what was happening. I heard a man's footsteps rush in and then his voice. Blackmail me, will you, you stupid... That's what I'm saying you for these letters. Now I'm taking them with me. I didn't think I had the time to spend picking the lock on the closet door, so I started kicking. The girl who had just tried to turn me into the cops was lying on her face in front of a telephone stand, and a covey of bullets had turned the brown silk on her back into wet red lace. She'd been shot in the back, and if she'd succeeded in finding her letters, her killer had taken them with him. I made a quick search myself and took a look for the remaining sets of letters, one from a guy who signed himself Baron, and the other one from a guy whose autograph read, With All My Love, Lawrence. My instincts were trying to pull me out of that apartment, but one look down the street threw them into reverse. Black and white prowl cars were arriving, and it was less than another minute when their passengers started pouring out of the elevator and through the front door. Never mind the closet, Lieutenant. It's empty. I kicked my way out. All right, let's see your hands. Get them up. I swear I'm going to buy some stock in a gun company. Everybody's got them. Miller, get around behind him. Check him for the weapons. Yes, sir. He's clean, Lieutenant. Okay. Who are you? Johnny Dollar. And if you lend me back my right hand, I'll give you my ID. It's in my wallet. Keep him up. Miller, get his wallet. Yes, sir. Here it is. Oh. Insurance dick, huh? Please, I'm a freelance special insurance investigator. It sounds better. Keeps my price up. Hartford, huh? Uh, what's your story? Well, first, I'd like to go on record as saying I didn't commit either one of the murders. Either one? What are you talking about? Well, this one here is the girl who phoned in the report that brought you here. The one she was talking about, Marilyn Major, is lying just as dead on the floor in the bedroom. Miller, get in there and take a look. Yes, sir. While he's looking, you keep on talking. Okay. I'll start from the beginning. 
I was sent out here by Highworthy Insurance. They just issued a policy on the legs of that dame in the other room. A hundred thousand dollars. Publicity stunt. I was supposed to protect their interests. What do you mean by that? Well, what do you think? I was supposed to see that she didn't attempt any Hindu fire dances or try walking any tight ropes during the next 48 hours. Well, your worries are over that department, at least. What else? When I got here, the door was open. I walked in and found her. Dead. Any way to prove that? Any witnesses? Uh, just one. She's lying there behind her. Uh-huh. Over the phone, she accused you of the murder. That's the wrong kind of a witness. No, Lieutenant. The wrong kind of dame. She knew I didn't do it. She was somewhere in this apartment when I arrived. Then why did she say it? I can hardly ask her. Listen, Lieutenant. She did tell me that she came here to get some letters. Her husband had written them to the major dame. She said she was trying to protect him. From what? Who knows? Maybe she just wanted him arrested in peace. The guy committed suicide this morning. Uh, we can't shake his story with him, can we? You've got a lot of dead friends. How did this one here get that way? I'm not sure. While I was in the closet, I heard her call you. And then a man came in and yelled something about blackmail at her and shot her. And naturally, he had disappeared by the time you kicked your way out of the closet. That's right. Yeah. This story of yours may win some kind of a prize, Dollar, but not for me. I'm not a judge. That's one thing in my favor. Hey, Lieutenant, I got something. The dame is dead, all right. And look what I found in that closet. A fingernail file, a fountain pen with a name on it, Johnny Dollar, and a thirty-two caliber revolver jammed in a shoe. Well, Dollar, that combination puts you in a kind of jam, too. Look, Lieutenant, I think I can make you see things my way. If you let me go through my story once more, I was sent out here by Highworthy Insurance Underwriters. Expense account, item four, $3. Candy, gum, cigarettes, and magazines to make cell number 36... Los Angeles City Jail, less like a no place and more like a home. There's something about a jail door closing on you that sounds very final. In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But first, we want you to know that the biggest jackpot in the history of radio, $50,000, goes in the works tomorrow night when CBS' great Saturday night quiz show, Sing It Again, comes to you again over most of these same stations. $50,000. $25,000 in marvelous prizes, plus $25,000 in cold, hard cash. And that's only the beginning. Because the longer the phantom voice questions elude the listeners, the higher the rewards go. Be sure you're around tomorrow night when Sing It Again sets telephones ringing across the nation and $50,000 goes riding on each call. And now, back to yours truly, Johnny Dollar. I accepted this Hollywood assignment. I visualized spending much of my time gazing upon bars, but not the kind offered by cell number 36. The guy who said stone walls do not a prison mate had never been a guest in the Los Angeles City Jail. He had a better chance of getting out of Bartlett's quotations than I had of getting out of there. But as we keep saying in the insurance racket, 
Never say die. What are you in for? I've heard tell the boys around headquarters have a very funny joke about roaches in jails. But that's not why I'm here. Sit down. Make yourself uncomfortable. Thanks. I can't offer you a mint julep. The closest I can come is a spearmint lifesaver. Oh, thanks. Uh, this kind of zero is a pleasure after facing the kind we're up against. Huh? So for a dollar, all we've got to go on is you and a mess of evidence we haven't as yet been able to trace down to its rightful owners. Oh, incidentally, about that gun we thought might be yours. Oh, don't tell me you're going to give it to me as a birthday present. It was the weapon used to kill Marilyn Major, all right. The paraffin test we took in your hands let you out. You haven't been firing any guns lately. Does that mean you've come here to escort me to the front door? No, not so fast. We do want to know what your fingerprints were doing all over those two bundles of love letters we found. I'm going to have to learn to pick things up with my knuckles. Lieutenant, I just had a natural curiosity as to who killed the cat. The only difference between us, Roach, is that your curiosity is official. How far did you get? Not far enough. Didn't take much figuring to know that Miss Major has been playing a high-class badger game. All the perfume in the joint couldn't cover up the smell of blackness. On top of that, we found the two batches of letters that you'd been messing around with. One signed Baron, the other signed Lawrence. Those the fire department should be handling. Oh, yeah. Oh, and remember, there's probably a third set floating around. Why do you say that? Well, I'm not an eyewitness to this, only an earwitness. But uh, from what I could hear inside that closet, the dame who came there looking for her husband's letters found them, and she called you to turn me in. Mm-hmm. On her way out of the apartment, some guy came in, mistook her for Marilyn Major, and shot her in the back. When I kicked my way out of the closet, those letters of hers were gone. So, figures the murderer grabbed the letters out of her hand, thinking there was some he'd written. Uh-huh. Then in your file, the killer was either that barren fellow or the, the other one, Lawrence. Lieutenant, in my file, they're both murderers. It's just a question of who killed whom. The guy who killed Marilyn Major certainly wouldn't have come back to kill her again, would he? In this town, you never know. Look, Lieutenant, I got a two-way stake in this thing. One, to get my name cleared. The other, to get my job done. And I'm in a hurry. I imagine you are, too. Well, Marilyn Major was a big name. That means we'll soon have newspapers burning under our seats. We're in a hurry, all right. Okay, then listen. If I were either one of those murderers, and I know that the police probably had a handful of letters that could send me to the gas chamber, I'd head for the border. Yeah. But if I thought an outsider had them, somebody they might be able to buy off or scare off or beat off, then I'd go find that guy. Well? Let's bring this thing to a head in a hurry. Run a story in the papers. Tell them, tell them you released me. Uh, tell them I escaped. Tell them anything. Just so long as you tell them that you suspect that I have those letters hidden someplace. Well, if you don't mind taking the chance of having two murderers gunning after you, we certainly don't. Oh, I mind. Believe me, I'm not doing you any favors. It's just that I'll feel safer in my own hands. Okay, Mr. Pigeon, you've got yourself elected. We'll publish that story. Then we'll let you fly the coop. Good enough. Just make sure that you give me plenty of fighter cover. Expense account, item six. Seven cents. 
purchase of newspaper, an extra edition that hit the street about a half an hour before I did. Item seven, five dollars. A big square meal to make up for the ones I'd missed ignoring the little round beans while a guest of the city. Seeing the lieutenant's fiction in black print on the front page of a newspaper almost had me believing it. There was my picture, big as life. And when those birds set up a pigeon, they made sure everybody would know the location of his roost. Firmly planted high in the story was the name of the hotel into which they had registered me, and to which I was under orders to proceed immediately. As I walked down the hotel corridor to my room, I felt an icy chill and a flight of goose flesh headed south down my spine. Expected company, but not your kind. At first, I thought I'd gotten into the wrong room. This kid looked right at home. And she used some some of the clothes from a half-packed overnight bag to make her look it. So you're Johnny Dunn. Yeah. Thanks for saving me a calling card. Who are you? Alice Hill. That doesn't mean anything. Otherwise known as Mrs. Lawrence Hill. Oh, Lawrence. Oh, the last time I saw that name, it said, with love. But not to you. That's why I'm here. I want those letters. Why aren't you carrying a gun? It'll be here if we need it. We? Yes. My husband's down in the lobby. Look, if you give me those letters he wrote, I'll pack up my little bag and leave, and everybody will be very happy. Yeah? I think I know the next line, but go ahead. I hope you keep on being that smart. My husband was watching for you when you came in, so he knows you're up here. Naturally, he knows I'm here, and he's on his way up. We want those letters. This isn't just a badger game. This is the World Series. If I don't give you the letters, your husband busts in here, shoots me, and I get written off under the unwritten law. Neat, neat, neat. It's a handy law. You're right. It's covered a multitude of sins. Where are the letters? Where's your husband? What's the matter with you? What do those letters mean to you? Well, right now, they look like my only hold on the future, Mrs. Hill. How do I know that you and your dear Lawrence won't kill me after you get them? You want me to take your word for it? Well, I... I I'll have to trust Lawrence. He'll know what to do. I already know. There's nothing else for him to do. Look, Mrs. Hill, why don't you wise up? Your husband is ready to commit one murder to remove the evident motive for another. And he's dragging you into this with him. You'll wind up an accessory before, after, and during the fact. You're running up a blind alley as fast as you can run. And it's too late to turn around, so I'll just have to keep running. Ah, well, here he is. Lace up your track shoes, lady. The race is on. Come in. Sit still, freeze, both of you. It's okay, Alice. You can hold off on the dog and pony show. Save it for the witnesses when they arrive. Don't waste it on Lawrence and me. That, that isn't Lawrence. What? Oh, so this must be Baron. You all through? Uh, that depends on that gun in your hand. Where are the letters? Letters, letters, letters. You know, I'm beginning to feel like a mailman when he's late getting around in the morning. There's one thing I want to know. Where did an ugly part-time Romeo like you find all those pretty words you wrote? Look, don't get me sore. I'll blast your letters and no letters. Ah, that's the tone I was trying to bring your voice up to, Mr. Barron. No letters is exactly what I've got to offer. He's lying. He admitted to me that he has them. He's trying to blackmail you, Barron. That's what he's doing. Who are you? Never mind. My husband's in the same boat you are. I read the papers. Lawrence, huh? That's right. He'll be here any second. Between us, we'll figure out something. Now, stay away from it, Dollar. I'll answer it. Yeah, good idea. If a man answers, hang up. It'll be Lieutenant Roach. Uh, wait a minute. Okay, answer it, Dollar. Mm -hmm. 
But the first wrong word fires this gun. Oh, you can believe me. Nothing but right words are on the tip of my tongue. Hello? Whoever was on the other end of the line decided not to talk and hung up. So I started an imaginary conversation with Lieutenant Roach of Homicide. While I was talking, I was thinking. Darren's voice was the voice I'd heard when I was locked in the closet. That made him the guy who shot the girl who turned me in. By the process of elimination, Lawrence Hill was elected murderer of Marilyn Major. During my thought, which made no sense, and my thoughts, which made plenty of sense, I was checking the length of cord on the phone. I needed Darren a little closer. So I started tossing enough dangerous words into the, mouth, the mouthpiece to draw him closer, threatening me with his mutters, his looks, and his gun. He moved into range, and I moved into action. I heaved the base of the telephone straight into his face. <laughs> I moved in with my knee right after it. I stumbled back, letting go of the gun, which I kicked under the bed. Then I made a break front on the dresser next to the bed, using his head to break the front. The water from the cracked up pitcher hit him in the face. But it didn't do him any good. Hey, get out from underneath there. Get away from that gun. Come on. Well, I got a hold of your ankle. I got a good mind to do this thing right and heave you out the window. Let go of me. Come on now, stand up. You... All right, I'll with you once. We don't want any trouble. Just let me out of here. We'll pay you anything. My husband's an important man. So am I. I've had all the pushing around I'm going to take. From now on, I'm the dealer. And your hand is to shut up. All I want to do is get out of here. Oh, no, you don't. I baited you. You tried to bait me. Now we'll both sit here and bait your husband. That must have been him that called this room and hung up when he heard my voice. One thing I didn't bother to tell you. Your husband couldn't have known I was up here until then. Because I came in the hotel the back way. And came up here the back way. Elevator and all. What do you mean you, you baited me? Why do you think the police put my name, my address, and my picture in the newspapers? To draw autograph owners? Oh. Oh, is right. Now get over there in the corner while I retrieve Mr. Barron's gun from under the bed before some mouse crawls out of the woodwork and tries taking a shot at me. Go on, get going. Turn around. Okay. Now, if you don't want me shooting runs in your stockings, don't make a move while I'm under the bed. I feel like something that old maids hope for. Lawrence! Where is he? On the floor. He's got a gun. Shoot him. Kill him. Under the bed. No, no, Lawrence. Not him. No, he's under the bed. Under the bed. I'm taking no chances. Listen, Roach, you may be a lieutenant of the police department, but to me, you're just a fat private. Now, now, calm down, darling. I don't mind setting myself up as a pigeon, but you promised me protection. Where was it? Temper, temper. Now, who's who here? Let's get these stiffs sorted out, then we can talk. There's only one stiff. The other one, the one near the door, is Lawrence. He's only wounded. I had to shoot his pins out from under him. He came crashing in and killed Baron by mistake. That's Baron over there by the bed. Ah, another case of mistaken identity? How did he miss you? I happened to be under the bed at the time. Oh. And I wasn't hiding. No? I was looking for a gun, and I found it, and I used it. If I had one right now, I'm not so sure I wouldn't use it on you. You still haven't told me why you left me here alone, holding the sack all this time. I'll tell you why. And I guess it was our fault. The men I had posted in the lobby didn't see you come into the hotel. Well, how do you like that? Johnny Dollar. Wise guy. Huh? Lieutenant, I got some news for you. 
Just to make sure I was taking no chances, I came in the back way. Expense account, item eight. $62. Hollywood Entertainment. Seeing what there is to see at Sparrow's. Item nine, $105. Seeing to it that one of the things I saw at Sparrow's had a good time with me at the Motombo. Item 10, $186.13. Plane fare, Hollywood back to Hartford. Item 11, $1. Ticket to the movies, back in Hartford, to study the last motion picture of Marilyn Major, so that in the future I'd be sure to steer clear of her kind of a woman, who is too much of a jinx for my kind of man. Uh, expense account total, $948.76. Signed, yours, um, truly, Johnny Dollar. keeping with the Easter season, you'll hear a different kind of story on CBS Gangbusters tomorrow night. The authentic story of a former gangster's fight to go straight, broadcast in cooperation with outstanding parole authorities. You'll find this Easter Eve Gangbusters drama as gripping as any program CBS has ever brought to you. Tomorrow night, you'll also find a mid-April adventure with the intriguing title, The Heat Wave, on CBS Philip Marlowe program. Gangbusters and The Adventures of Philip Marlowe are regular Saturday night features on most of these same CBS stations. Listen in again next week when CBS brings you yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with Charles Russell as Johnny. Written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd, with music by Mark Warno, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Richard Sandville for CBS with Columbia Broadcasting System. For CBS with Columbia Broadcasting System. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.